You've tuned into the Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to the Dr. Lowe Show. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Dr. Lowe, and you are listening to the Dr. Lowe Show. So glad to have you. Welcome. I am uh, in between patients today, hopping on here to record this quick intro. It has been a busy, busy day, and it's a busy time in my life because I just got engaged recently. So I am uh, actually going to be getting married in June. I'm so excited. If you guys have been following me over on Instagram, you probably already knew that, but um, I just couldn't be more excited. So um, my uh, fiance and I, we actually shared our little romance story um, over on Instagram. So if you are just wanting to be curious and you want to stalk a little bit, which I, you know, who doesn't Instagram stalk from time to time, you can get that little behind the scenes story. Um, feeling very blessed, feeling very grateful for all the great things happening in my life. And um, so, yeah, so, but I'm excited for this show. Anytime we get to talk about gut health, I just totally geek out. I love anything about the digestive system because it does everything, right? It does so many things. I don't care if someone's coming in to my office, unless it's like, it could be an earache they're coming in and I'm going, okay, what's going on with your gut? Because I know that the ear is connected to your sinuses. It's connected to your throat, which is connected to your gut. I mean, everything comes back to the gut. So um, yeah, this is a really fun show. Before we jump into the episode, I want to give love to our show sponsor, Paleo Valley. They have a really great supplement that is very uh, supportive for gut health. So their apple cider vinegar complex, I absolutely love. So I recommend apple cider vinegar a lot to patients. One of the hardest parts about it is compliance because who's going to carry around a bottle of apple cider vinegar with them. So I love these um, capsules because it's a total solution for that. So basically you just take a couple with each meal and it has organic apple cider vinegar, organic turmeric, organic ginger, organic cinnamon, and organic lemon. So these different ingredients, what they do is they actually help to support healthy blood sugar levels. They also can help minimize cravings. So if you are a carb craver, it is wonderful. Um, it also helps with nutrient absorption. So for a lot of us, we may eat really well, but if we're stressed or um, if there's something going on with our gut, we may not be digesting optimally. And so apple cider vinegar can help with nutrient absorption because it helps the production of stomach acid. It also can give um, relief from indigestion as well. So love apple cider vinegar complex. You can grab it over at paleovalley.com, enter Dr. Lowe, D-R-L-O at checkout and you get 15% off. All right, you guys, let's jump into the show and talk all about gut health and fermentation. Let's do it.
welcome back to the show. I'm looking forward to this topic because as a rather new mom, I have a two-year-old, I have have this desire just to get kind of dirty in the kitchen. I want to start making more things. I really believe in food as medicine. And this is an area I've never really dove into myself myself. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are in the same boat with me. So this will be a really interesting and I think practical show. And regardless if you're a parent or not, we can all benefit from taking better care of our digestive systems. We will get all into it. So uh, joining me on the show is Holly Howe, and she is a grade school teacher turned fermentation educator, and she's the founder of the popular makesourkraut.com website, where she's helped thousands of people successfully master fermentation in a jar with just cabbage, salt, thyme, and a bit of help from the bacterial world. She visits her year-round farmer's market on Vancouver Island, BC each week to gather inspiration for a seasonally fermented produce. And we'll learn all about the different vegetables that she uses and ways that she ferments them. And she's the author of Fermentation Made Easy, Mouthwatering Sauerkraut, and creator of the online program Ferment Like a Pro. Holly, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Dr. Lowe, for having me. I'm happy That's to be here. So great to have you. So why the heck are you so into fermentation stuff? What what got you into this? Um, about 20 years ago now, I uh, learned about the importance of fermented foods for gut health. And our family, I had a young family at the time. We started buying uh, Bubby's sauerkraut and eating that on a regular basis. And soon got to the bottom of the jar too quickly and it got too expensive. Mm -hmm. So decided to make our own fermented foods. I was doing a lot of other fermentation, soaking grains and properly preparing foods and became overwhelmed with all of it. So decided to focus just on sauerkraut because I knew it was so advantageous for gut health. Mm -hmm. And tell, do you know a little bit of just the history of, of, you know, fermentation and, and cause I mean, we have all the different things at our fingertips, right? Like all the ways that we can buy foods from any season, from anywhere in the world, really just, you know, just go to the grocery store, but that wasn't always the case. Right. So how was this used in, in history? Fermentation has been around for centuries and it was how we um, preserved our foods so that we had healthy foods to eat throughout the season. We didn't have refrigerators or batch canning. And, mm -hmm. and so we used fermentation, started way back um, along when they were building the Great Wall of China and realized that they could keep the workers healthy by uh, fermenting the cabbage and fed them that. And uh, they were able to work through the cold weather and stay healthy. Wow. And then with the advent of industrial process, these foods disappeared from our diet and we switched over to wanting shelf, shelf stable foods canned foods and in the process did not realize we were losing out on all this beneficial bacteria that helps us have better digestion overall better health so um, we lost out on that and now thankfully it's the, the renaissance of fermented foods and we're bringing it back into our diet with kombucha and sauerkraut and pickles all prepared with the natural process that retain the beneficial bacteria. As soon as you say pickles, my mouth waters. I don't know how, who else on the line. It's, <laughs> it's amazing just what it does, but you know, and it's, it's one of the things I talk about with my patients so much because such a huge focus I have is gut health. And I educate them that there's 10 times more bacteria in their body than there are human cells. Like we are walking bacteria and you know, we're in a 
society now that is just afraid of all the germs and wanting to live in a bubble and all this stuff. And it's wreaking havoc on our immune systems, not having that biodiversity and, you know, having the proper levels of bacteria, right? So with all these shelf stable foods and trying to have everything squeaky clean, I mean, our, our digestive system actually pays the price for not having that diversity. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I so much enjoy introducing people to fermented foods, because all of a sudden you have to get comfortable with bacteria and you welcome them into your world. And before you know it, because you need the bacteria to ferment the foods without them, we wouldn't be here without all those little wonderful microscopic bacteria hanging out on the heads of cabbage and the carrots in the ground, um, we wouldn't be able to ferment. And so through that fermentation process, you realize how valuable they are. And then all of a sudden you start thinking, well, I need to feed my bacteria hanging out in my uh, gut microbiome. When am I going to feed them today? Exactly. That's a really good point you bring up is feeding the good bacteria. It's not just about going to the store and getting some uh, probiotics. If you go and eat all your shelf stable foods after that and not have anything that is fermented or have those prebiotics, those bacteria are just going to die. They don't, they won't have anything to stick around. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Super important stuff. So, okay, let's, let's get into more about fermentation. So for folks who have never, ever done it before, um, how do they even get started with fermenting? Um, number one, you know, I like people to start with sauerkraut because it is, um, a very easy ferment to make. And if you can make a batch of coleslaw, you can make a batch of sauerkraut because in essence, you're doing the same thing for coleslaw, you're slicing cabbage thinly, and you're adding in a variety of vegetables to it for flavor. And then you're making a salad dressing and mixing that all together. And so when I tell people they're making sauerkraut, in essence, the same thing, but instead of going to the work of making the salad dressing, we're adding salt to our sliced cabbage. And that salt performs a very important function. It pulls out the liquid in the cells of the cabbage to then create a brine. And that brine is what the cabbage is going to live in while it's fermenting. We're going to find a way, we'll pack all that into a jar. You can start with very simple ingredients, just a mason jar or an old pickle jar. We pack that all into the jar and we hold it below that brine. And what's really cool about that is the pathogenic bacteria like that E. coli we're afraid of or that salmonella, they can't survive in that salty environment. Mm -hmm. And those bacteria are in there. They're working for us. There's thousands in there. They're doing the work for us. It's so interesting to watch them work and blow little bubbles and Mm -hmm. watch those rise to the surface. And what they're doing is they're creating lactic acid. They eat the sugars in the cabbage, in the vegetables, and produce lactic acid. And that lactic acid gives the vinegar-like tang to the sauerkraut, and the pathogenic bacteria can't live in that environment. They lower the pH to a point where the salmonella, the E. coli can't survive, and then that lactic acid preserves that cabbage, and then that lactic acid is um, what helps us with our digestion. So cool. And you explain it so simply. I know you have a um, history of what kindergarten teacher, right? Elementary. Um, I was a grade six teacher. Okay. Got it. (laughs) Well, yeah, you make it real easy to understand. So um, how long does it last? It lasts in essence, it can last for many years. They have actually on earth, um, like taro root buried in the ground that has been, you know, 20, 30 years old and found it to still be viable. But I like to, I like people to think of it as a way of preserving the harvest. So cabbage season, October, we 
harvest that cabbage, we preserve it through fermentation. Um, and then we eat that throughout the year. And hopefully by the end of the year, 12 months later, we're to the end of all our sauerkraut. And then we preserve the next year's harvest. So it can last for a year easily. It can last longer, but I like to think once people start thinking as fermentation, as a way of preserving foods, then you tie into the cycle of nature and what's, you know, ready to preserve at any one time and then come around the next year, you make the next batch. Now, sauerkraut, you can make year round. Cabbage does preserve well, so you don't have to wait to cabbage season to make it. But in essence, we're working with the cycles of nature, connecting with those cycles, connecting with the bacteria and connecting with the farmers that grow that for us. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I, I educate patients about this is that we're, we are circadian creatures. We're creatures of the earth, you know, where we're, our bodies change monthly, especially as, as ladies, you know, our, our cycles can sync up with um, where we ovulate with the full moon and we have our periods with the new moon and, and the same thing happens with seasons, you know, in the winter time, um, we have the longest uh, nights, right? The summertime, the longest days and our bodies do change throughout the course of, of the year and same thing with the vegetables, you know? So eating things in season, I think that there's a lot of medicinal benefits that we don't even know about, you know, there, we, we learn more about nutrition every year, just it's exponential, the, the learning that we have. But I do think that there's really something to be said for uh, enjoying God's green earth, what's put here in the timing that it is and kind of trusting in that. So um, I love that. What are some of the vegetables that you have, um, you know, made sauerkraut or, or fermented? Well, um, my kind of a signature sauerkraut that I made, um, my signature recipe is actually made with uh, grated carrots and garlic in it. And I find that the carrots add extra moistures to help with the brine levels. And then there's a little bit of sweetness and garlic tang in there that then makes it digestible and uh, palatable for just about anyone, children and adults alike. Mm -hmm. But I actually never made a plain batch of sauerkraut until I was developing my recipes and realized I needed just a cabbage one in there. Mm -hmm. But I put all sorts of things in my sauerkraut. Um, People love beets in there, along with like caraway seed and garlic and rosemary. Um, I make one that has a pineapple and lime zest and juice and cilantro in it. Wow. Yeah, there's, that's like very refreshing in the middle of summer. My husband's favorite one is what I call firecracker sauerkraut. And that has sliced jalapenos and oregano and red onion in it. Oh so God. really, um, once you understand the foundation of what goes into a recipe, the world is your, you know, you can do anything you want with those recipes and you end up, it kind of can backfire on you because in my family now I have, when everybody's home, there's like four different flavors of sauerkraut I have to make because everyone has their favorite. <laughs> so yeah, my oldest son likes a kimchi style sauerkraut that I make. My husband wants the uh, um, firecracker one. And then my youngest son wants the uh, sweet garlic. So, you know, it can backfire, but it's just, do you it's sell like, your, your product or your recipes? Have you done that or just your programs? Um, the, the recipes, I have them all in a book and there are a lot of them are on the website. And then um, of course, in my online program, I share all the recipes too, but there's uh, plenty of recipes on the website to get people started. But you haven't like made them and sold like at a farmer's market or something, right? You're no, just, no, yeah, I, I, got it. I really feel that because people 
say, why don't you sell them? And uh -huh. I think that's backfiring on the whole mm. idea behind this. It's really about empowerment and connecting mm. with our food. Yeah. And it's incredible to see the transformation in people when they make sauerkraut, they taste it, they get the energy from it and they go, wow, I made this. And they start sharing it with family and friends before they know it, they're making more and more. So my reason is not to sell it, but to empower people to realize how they can take care of their health. They don't have to rely on big pharma and big ag. They can, you have to take control of your health. You can't rely 100%. upon anyone else for it other than for guidance. So we really need to uh, be making it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Over the last 10 years working with patients, the ones that really stand out that have had the most glorious healing journeys are the ones that really take it and own it and, you know, learn things and, and, and find what works for them. Uh, cause you know, I, I'm a smart girl and I know a lot of things, but I will never know a patient's body the way that they know themselves. Right. And especially when they learn this stuff for themselves, it's, it's a uh, next level. So exactly. Our bodies yeah. are giving us little messages all day long. I call them our mm -hmm. little guardian angels. You know, when that mm -hmm. knee is feeling, you know, achy or something, it's a message from our body to do something about it. And, you know, we're the only ones that can. And so uh, starting yeah. to take control of your health is a huge step. Mm -hmm. Do you have any particular stories, maybe personally or with family or any, um, you know, uh, customers who have shared transformations they've had any health turnarounds doing all this? Um, I know for one, for me personally, I'll share one, then one of my, uh, you know, clients, but, um, we would travel down to, I live in Canada on Vancouver Island, and we traveled down to see family in California every summer and, um, had been eating fermented foods for maybe five, six years at this point and did not want to hassle packing them up to take them with me on the trip. I figured I'd be fine without them for 10 days. Mm -hmm. And boy, did I see a change in my whole digestion slow down to, mm -hmm. you know, I've never had digestive issues. I didn't get into fermentation for health reasons. I got into it to maintain my health. And so I quickly saw the transformation by not having the fermented foods in my diet. Mm -hmm. So now I always travel with them, even if it means when flying that I pack them into a Ziploc bag and I smell up the uh, waiting room if I'm <laughs> eating them in public. But uh, now I make sure to travel with them. And you don't yeah. need much to make a difference in your digestion, just like a few strands of sauerkraut. They're mm -hmm. teeming with trillions of bacteria. So it's not like you have to travel with a lot. You can right. travel with just a little. Mm -hmm. and, and also, too, if, if you do travel, just to interrupt real fast, you know, Okay. So yes, I found very quickly that um, I now make the extra effort to travel with fermented foods. And then one of the kind of most memorable examples from one of my uh, readers and people that learned to ferment from my website was an elderly man on kidney dialysis. And he sent me a picture of him going through his kidney dialysis there in the uh, center and said that he made his first batch of sauerkraut um, like a month ago. And it was the first time that he's actually had a normal bowel movement in 20 or 30 years. Wow. So it's pretty incredible. And I don't make sauerkraut out to be the cure-all. It's just one component mm -hmm. in a healthy diet. But it is amazing sometimes how that was just the little thing that somebody needed to introduce some 
healthy gut bacteria into their gut microbiome to make a big change like that. Oh, it's huge. And someone may not initially tie those two things together, right? The gut and the kidneys, but when the digestive system is working properly, you don't get that overload of toxins, you know, especially not having bowel movements, right? So you start to have bowel movements, it's releasing those toxins and it's a lot less of a burden on the kidneys. Yes. That's amazing. So cool. Yeah. So let's talk, let's, let's uh, say there's a mom listening who let's say her kids won't touch anything, but chicken nuggets or pizza or mac and cheese, what would be a way to just slowly start to bring some of this in for their kiddos? Um, You know, they, you can get a lot of benefit from the brine. Mm -hmm. So you could even like just dip into your jar and mix a little bit of brine in with something that they're drinking. Mm. So that would be one way to introduce the bacteria. Um, you can stir sauerkraut into salads. So like if your child's eating like a carrot salad, you mm. could stir in some sauerkraut into that. They need just very little to make a difference on that. If they're eating like a hamburger, you can, or even in a sandwich, you can layer it in there. I know one mom shares her favorite thing was a grilled peanut butter sandwich with sauerkraut layered in there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That one almost sounds a little unappetizing, but she loves it. But, um, it, as a mom realized, and this is what I was dealing with, with my children, introducing it to them. The uh, one doctor said, you know, you don't need much. So even a few strands can make a big difference. So if they're willing to try a little bit or making, um, like what I call the um, sweet garlic sauerkraut with the carrots in, finding mm-hmm. a variety that they like, but realize you can hide it in things and gradually introduce them to that kind of tang that we may not be familiar with. Right. And that's another part is retraining your taste buds, right? If exactly. you're not used to this type of, uh, you know, type of taste on your, your tongue, it's a little bit of re-education there, but then eventually I would understand. I mean, I, it happens for me too, where you just start to crave this stuff. You start to really want it. Like your mouth waters when you think about it. Exactly. And that is actually your taste buds. There is a fifth taste they discovered back uh, 2002, um, umami, which Mm -hmm. is the glutamate uh, sensors on your tongue. And I find when I don't have fermented foods on my plate for the meal that the meal doesn't taste complete Mm -hmm. because we aren't including that umami in it. That's the secret of, you know, five-star chefs always include Parmesan cheese or you know, mushrooms or something in a dish to really bring out the flavor. So, um, yeah, you get used to it. And if sauerkraut's not the one that works, perhaps uh, pickles work or fermented carrot sticks that you uh, serve with some dip that they d- dip it into. There's, so there's more than one way to introduce fermented foods into their diet. What about for folks who are going, okay, I, the ones who, you know, the very first line of anything that seems like it's not good anymore, they throw it away. You know, there's concerns about having food just sitting sitting in the kitchen for days. So how, how would you kind of put their minds at ease? Well, I actually like to tell them it's safer than that spinach salad they had the day, night before. Hmm. Um, you know, our vegetables all come with, n- not all, but you know, there are dangerous bacteria, pathogenic bacteria, a very small percentage living on these vegetables. And it's through the fermentation process that those are killed off. They can't survive in the acidic environment of fermentation. And that pH drops within three days in your jar of fermenting sauerkraut. So actually the sauerkraut is safer to eat than a green salad, because even though you may have washed off those lettuce leaves or the spinach leaves, there may be some E. coli trapped in little 
uh, nooks and crannies that did not get washed off. So then we're going to rely upon our gut to take care of that when we digest right. it. But through the fermentation process, it's very, very safe. Uh, there's a Dr. Fred Wright, a USD microbiologist who has studied um, how the bacteria compete during fermentation. And it's, it's very, very safe. There's never been a documented case of anyone getting ill from eating fermented foods. Mm. That's cool. That doesn't happen often. There's no, not uh, a documented case of something. Um, <laughs> one of the things I do a lot in my practice is I, I test patients for um, leaky gut. I do a lot of stool testing. Um, I do deficiency testing, which is my favorite panel because then I can get really specific on which nutrients we need to focus more on and you know if they need certain supplements or foods that they need to focus more on too. Um, but one of the specific nutrients that's in that panel is vitamin K2. And oh, I, yes. yes, I'm educating patients about that. So let's talk about vitamin K2. It's actually created during the fermentation process. Mm -hmm. And so when you're eating the fermented foods, you're also getting your K2, which is going to help you assimilate your uh, fat soluble vitamins, which you can probably talk better on than me, but um, <laughs> it's just so wonderful what these fermented foods provide for us. We're learning more and more as time goes on. We, uh, yeah. the gut microbiome research just started within the last 10 to 15 years. And every day we're on earthing new things. And um, yes. yeah, the fermentation process is breaking down those foods so you can assimilate more nutrients or more bioavailable from the fermented food than from the unfermented food. And mm -hmm. like vi vitamin C levels are much higher in fermented cabbage versus unfermented cabbage. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's yeah, pretty so cool. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, the, most of our vitamins are water soluble, right? But there's four that are fat soluble. So vitamin K is one of them as well as D, A, and E. Um, and vitamin K helps us to um, assimilate vitamin vitamin D better. So or vitamin K helps to stimulate vitamin D better. So, um, I find a lot of times when patients have ongoing vitamin D deficiency, we got to check their vitamin K. Um, cause they do, they're like buddies, they work together. Exactly. And vitamin K is needed for healthy bones. Um, you know, for healthy blood clotting, lots of things. And I'd say it's probably in the top five of deficiencies for, for everybody in my experience. So it's a, uh, something that, you know, is not as well known. I think it's a little more well-known kind of in the health community, but the average person, they don't know anything about vitamin K, you exactly. know? So, so testing that is important. And if people can't afford to, to do all the testing, I mean, at least making sure to have that fermentation in your diet can kind of cover that base. And that's why fermented foods are so good to eat with fatty meals or protein rich mm -hmm. meals, because they're going to help you assimilate those nutrients and better. That makes sense. Improve yeah. your digestion with them. That makes people, a lot of sense. Yeah. I tell people it's not what you eat. It's what you absorb, right? Yeah, so perfect. do what you can to help with that. And that vitamin K, I have not K2. I have not taken this on as part of my fermented food eating repertoire, but mm. natto is the mm. food highest in vitamin K2. And uh, it would be a great food to include, but it has a on appealing texture and taste to it. So it's right. something that definitely would be down the list to get used to including in your diet. And is that fermented soy? Yes. Fermented okay. soybeans. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what are, I know, um, let's see. So some of the other vegetables, so you've done what cucumbers, leeks, tell us about the, the leek paste. Oh, the leek. Make. Um, 
kind of what I got into fermenting after I uh, mastered the fermentation of sauerkraut were fermented paste. Mm-hmm. So you can take pretty much any vegetable you want. Um, I do it with garlic, but leeks, I ferment leeks into a paste. So I slice them up and put them in my food processor, add some herbs in there to spread out the flavor, maybe some garlic and some onion. And that gets pureed to a very fine texture and then packed in a jar. You won't have a brine with it like you will with sauerkraut, but there just seems to be the right balance of bacteria. You don't end up with uh, mold issues during fermentation, but mm-hmm. that gets fermented on your countertop for a couple of weeks. And then when I'm making like a sandwich, I can spread that on there and add that umami punch and the flavor to it. When I'm making soup, I'll stir that in at the very end. And again, you're adding flavor and they become like little jars of fast food hanging out on your uh, refrigerator door that all of a sudden, I, if I want to increase the variety of vegetables I have in my diet, it's already done there in that jar leak paste. I have maybe five different herbs and vegetables, and then I'm not having to chop them at that moment. I'll um, like my fermented garlic paste, I'll saute greens and then pull my fermented garlic paste out of the refrigerator and stir that in at the end. And I didn't have to take the few minutes to chop my garlic. I did it all at once during garlic season when I fermented those, that garlic. Oh my gosh. I love all of that. So, okay. Let's say for a novice like me and any, anyone else listening who might feel overwhelmed with how to start. So walk us through, just like talk us, talk to us like we're in sixth grade. What can we do just to get started? What, what um, materials do we need? And like step by step. Hey, you don't need basic. much. Yeah. You're going, but we weren't going to want <coughs> excuse me, a jar of some type to pack it into, which we call your fermentation vessel. And so those are your quart or liter canning jars. That's okay. a nice size size to start with because um, it, it's a big enough fermentation to happen that you get lots of bacteria working away. And then it's a nice size jar to enjoy with the family over a, a month or two. So you're going to find some nice green cabbage and slice that very finely. And um, you're going to mix salt into that. I do my kind of um, fermentation is science. And to get a proper ferment, we want the right amount of salt in there. So we do Mm -hmm. weigh our ingredients. That can sometimes be the barrier to get people starting. But when you weigh your ingredients, you add the correct amount of salt, you create this perfect environment for the bacteria. Mm -hmm. You can figure out your salt by taste. You want kind of like a salty potato chip, but to um, create repeatable results, batch after batch, you um, ideally are weighing things. Mm -hmm. So into a quart jar fits 800 grams or a pound and three quarters of ingredients. So I slice in the cabbage, I grate you know, one or two carrots into that, mix in some chopped garlic. So you have your base in there, you have your ingredients which are going to be put into your sauerkraut. Then we need the salt in there. And the salt is what's going to set up that environment where the bacteria that we want multiply and the environment where the pathogenic bacteria, they don't like that salty environment, so they die off. So we sprinkle some salt over that sliced cabbage and we uh, get our hands in there and mix it together to disperse that salt the whole way through. So it's not in the jar yet. You have it like in a big bowl. Yeah, you have it in a big mixing bowl. It's not in a jar yet. And um, you're looking to create a brine. So we mix that salt in and you can actually leave that bowl sit with the salt all dispersed throughout for like 20 minutes and it will on its own create a brine. So I like to kind of do that, go clean up the kitchen and then come back. And we massage it with strong hands, as I call it. You're going to squeeze that sliced cabbage. 
Okay. So there's no liquid you've added. It's just, just, no, you don't add okay. any, you don't add any liquid. Gotcha. It, it, the salt's going to pull the brine out of that. You know, you slice that cabbage, you opened up all those cells and the salt's going to pull the liquid out of those cells to create a brine. Mm-hmm. So it'll get real soupy. You'll, if you tilt the bowl to the side, you'll see a little puddle of brine in the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's ready to pack into your jar. So you just grab handfuls of it and you squish them down into the jar, grab another handful. You're trying to prevent much in the way of air pockets. It's going to, the bowl you started with was like piled up high with uh, cabbage. You're going to think it's never going to fit in that jar, but it will. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that also gets squished in there. And you want to find a way you'll see brine coming up to the top of the jar as you pack it in there. And that's your uh, way of keeping everything safe during fermentation. So you need to find a way to hold it below the brine. And what I typically do for people who are just beginning and trying to find things around the house is you can find a smaller jar that fits inside, Mm. You fill it with water, you put a cap on that, and that becomes a weight. You're looking Mm. for what they call fermentation weights. When I started fermenting 20 years ago, there was no Amazon, there was no Mm -hmm. um, YouTube, et cetera. I had one or two books to reference. So I even used like marbles initially to hold everything below the brine. Interesting. But that jar will act as a weight, just like the old crocs that our great grandparents had in their basement. They put a plate on top and then they put uh, heavy uh, jars full of water on top. And that acted as the weight to hold everything below the brine. Got it. So okay. Yeah. So you need the, the cabbage mixture to be below the surface of the liquid. That exactly. Got it. Okay. That's what keeps it safe mm-hmm. and um, allows the bacteria, the bacteria that work are anaerobic. Mm-hmm. They work without air. So they love to be suffocated in that jar and they just start eating the sugars and produce the lactic acid. And you'll see that and produce um, carbon dioxide and you'll see little bubbles rise to the surface. So you tend to it each day, just make sure everything's below the brine. And then um, I like people to ferment it for three to four weeks, but if you get it at least a week, then you are sure that it is, um, the pH is low enough and it may not be as tangy, but it's a good way to gradually get used to the tang. And then it's, it's ready to eat. Hmm. All right. Thank you. That's that, that was very helpful. I I picture it in my head. Um, Okay. And so for the amount of salt to add in, did you say how much salt? Oh, I I didn't say um, you're adding a tablespoon of salt. I actually have people weigh it, which Mm -hmm. is like 16 grams, but um, most we have to get started somewhere. Right. I don't want to overwhelm people. Yeah. But if you grab a tablespoon of salt, um, typically that will work well for a quart jar. Okay. Perfect. And that's a, like a fine salt. I like to use like a Himalayan pink salt or real salt because it's an unprocessed food and has all sorts of minerals and nutrients in it, but mm-hmm. you can get away with using any salt. And then what I say is get started. And then you look at what you can level up next. Don't let barriers get in the way that you have to go buy a special jar or special weight or a special salt. Mm -hmm. Start with what you have, get that jar going, then look, okay, I've done this. I'm starting to feel comfortable with it. Now I want to maybe find the right weight to hold everything below the jar. I want to try a different salt. You know, it's just a way to get started, get comfortable with it, and then kind of level up the process as you go. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Is there anything else I should ask you or anything else you want to share with us about this topic before we let you go? Um, 
I, I guess we covered most of it because we talked about how empowering the process is, um, talked about how easy it is to then use these foods in your kitchen and make a meal preparation easier, the connection you have with your community. I would say find your local farmer's market Yeah, and start visiting your farmer's market and see what's growing there and uh, use that to dictate what you put in your uh, sauerkraut. But mm -hmm. the more you connect with your local community, especially today, we really need to support our farmers and our food supply. We don't know what's coming down the road. So the more that we can support the people that grow it for us, the uh, better our food security, not only our food security, but our health is going to be. Mm -hmm. 100%. What tools do you have for folks listening who want to take their fermentation to the next level? Um, I would say uh, fermentation spring, which is a great weight to hold everything below the brine, mm -hmm. uh, a scale so you can be weighing things. And then um, I would say a mandolin, which is the old cabbage shredder. It's a way to slice your cabbage so it's nice and thin and even slices that mm -hmm. everything ferments at uh, the same rate. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love it. And then you have some um, education um, tools for patients or for patients. I'm used to saying patients for, uh, for the listeners, right? So where yeah. would be a good place? Maybe your uh, fermentation made easy or. Right. I, I have, you know, of course the book, and then there is what I call my, uh, my, my book fermentation made easy mouthwatering sauerkraut. It's available both as a paperback and a Kindle. And then um, on the website, I have what I call my teaching recipe, which will take you through step by step. It's very involved and has all the tips for each step. And I hold your hand through the process and take you one step at a time so you can have the success you need with it. Mm -hmm. And then I, I gave you a link for um, a handout I'd like to share with your listeners. Yes. Seven, yeah. Seven fermentation mistakes you might be making and how to avoid them. Whether Love you're a, you know, a first time fermenter and want to get started on the right foot or whether you've made a few batches and want to level up your game, there's plenty of tips in there to get you started. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So yeah, you guys will have that in the show notes and you can get that link there. And so Holly's website is makesauerkraut.com and it's make, and then sauerkraut is spelled S-A-U-E-R-K-R-A-U-T. So S-A-U-E-R-K-R-A-U-T. A-U-T. That is a great Scrabble word right there. No, thank you. It's amazing <laughs> how many people really, I thought it was straightforward, but spelling it can be a challenge sometimes. No. <laughs> well, Holly, thank you so much for joining us and gracing us with your knowledge. And I know that a lot of people got a lot of value out of this and there'll be some happy guts as a result. So exactly. Thank you. thank you so much. Thank you for your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.